this is you. This is me. This is um. Now that we're leaving this um beautiful setup, home. yeah, we got a comment saying, and this was the best um positioning for you yet. This was the best the way you're set up tonight. That's the best one yet. You put like you got perfection, and, and now we gotta go. Yeah, I know. Well, we, now we got new values to work on. But you put me near a pink chair, and I'm a happy woman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other comments? We're not going off the air. I'm just changing the name of the program and we're going back to a, a kind of different format. But I think that you'll like some of the things that we add. I have a feeling that, that uh, we haven't built the set yet. We, we meant to, but uh, I kind of uh, lost that. I lost that connection for a little bit, but it will come back. And we are going to have new sets coming up in the next few months and doing a whole lot of uh, interesting things. Plus, um, back to once a month at least, I pray that I get to spend time with my co-host, Judge Constance, and I'm looking forward to that too. She's a powerhouse for real. All right, any other questions? Really? All right, well, let me tell you what I've been doing then, and feel free to ask your questions as, as you find the need to do so. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been writing a lot. Uh, I have two literary clients and one is brand new and um, I'm working with her to to help her to uh, get her her first book launched and it's going to take quite a bit of work she's her material is really good as I told her from the beginning and I think it shocked her a little bit but was it too I, I'm not a reader of the type of content that she writes I, she's writing wrote a, a book of fiction and I am taking, we're going through her edits process and stuff so that what she originally wrote would be ready to publish because that's the raw form of what you write. When you first finish your book, I tell anybody that I work with, uh, print it out, three-hole punch, or whatever kind of binding you want to do, and put it away. It's your first book, and you wrote it. But it, you won't ever publish it because it hasn't been touched. It's raw. It's got everything in it that you want to say. And the job of an editor or a person such as myself is to help you to now get it to a place that others can read and understand what you say. Because you'll find there's a, some questions that we have to answer. <coughs> Excuse me, the who, what, when, where, what, how of the thing, as well as uh, just deeper content. And so she, but what she has at the, just the onset is, is really, really brilliant writing. And the big thing is that she finished it. And now we have to give her a finished product. So that's one of the things that I do as an editorial consultant. And I guess they, people have asked me, well, how did you get to become one? Probably 20 to 25 to, I'm not going to say more than 30 years of reading a lot of stuff, but I think I was born to, born reading and so that's even more years to add to that conversation but ability to see where a story is to go and the fact that I like to read and that was something that was a struggle for me even having clients again was the fact that I actually have to read things that people wrote and after I had that eye surgery I found that I had to fight and I've told you all some of this before I had to press in to get my my vision, my, 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 my love for reading back. And there's much more to that story as we go along. But the main point that I, I'm pulling from that is you have to fight to take hold of what belongs to you. 
and then you keep fighting to let it be known once and for all that it's still yours. I can use marriage as an example. I don't mean that you gotta beat people up in order to get the one that you wanna marry. I hope you don't have to go through all that. But uh, when you get your, your marriage covenant is set, then both parties are going to have to fight to keep it. And I don't mean fight each other. That's the last thing you're supposed to do, but you fight for one another in that relationship. Fight to maintain the integrity of the relationship. You're not gonna let everybody come crawling into your bedroom. It, you shouldn't. People don't need to know what's going on there. You don't even let everybody in your kitchen or your living room or, or whatever room it is because there's a part that, that you fight in the beginning to make sure that each person is putting God first. And because that's the only way that we can treat each other correctly. You fight to get rid of your fears. You fight to get rid of all of the, the, the you, you shouldn't be bringing dirty, dirty laundry and dirty baggage into the relationship. You deal with that stuff before the covenant. But what you do is you don't keep looking at your spouse and expecting them to make the mistakes of all those wrong covenant relationships that you've had prior to a marriage relationship. You don't create an expectation for fear. You do not create an expectation for failure. Not if you're speaking what God speaks and, and, and hear and saying what God says. And so you're fighting the fight of faith to keep what you've got because it's worth having. And this is the same thing with healing, with wholeness, with every single thing, every word that has proceeded out of the mouth of God. We fight to hold on, hold fast to what belongs to us. And we keep the, the purity of the language that we come from, which is why we do not sound like the world. And so we don't use their phrases. It, it, I really have begun to catch myself, to catch the phrases that I use that are very popular with world culture, but which actually contradict the word of God. And so you don't mispronounce your body parts. You know, we've got all kinds of names for that stuff, but those are their names. Those are not the names that God identified you to make you anatomically correct. We don't refer to ourselves as old pieces of this or that. In fact, when you, as you get older, you claim the youth that is renewed as an eagle. You don't as associate yourself with the, with the fading patterns of life that the world has. I was listening to somebody today, a health fitness person, and they were talking about the, 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 the decline of the body because of the progression of age, people over a certain, once I guess get past their 40s, et cetera, et cetera, how things start to deteriorate. But you know the Bible actually does not agree with that. God did tell Joshua, you are old and you are stricken with age. And then the most interesting thing, he then said to him, and you've still got work to do, so you need to get up because you've got work to do. Because he's, from God's point of view, what, who he is in you, who he is to you, is sufficient to enable you to finish the course. And so even though I liked some of the stuff, it was a product that they were selling, and I liked what the, what the man had to say, <clears throat> but I did not agree with him attributing the glory for recovery to a product, because it isn't. You see, to me, the difference is, and I was listening to the Holy Spirit as I was listening to the presentation, that the glory for my health goes to God. And the praise to, for my health goes to God. 
and the words that speak my health come from God. And the rest of it you do for maintenance, to care. Yes, we take care of our we take care of our bodies. We do not overload them with additives and 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 and, and fake foods, you know, meat substitutes that come from Sa'ad. Do not get me started on that. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot to say uh, anyway other than yuck, no, thank you. That's pretty much my whole stand on because I'll never be able to fake bacon. Never. <laughs> okay. That's a shout out to Minister Dury Fox. All right. And, and, and all like-minded people, and, uh, which actually that's just astounding love of George Fellowship. That's one of the most bacon-eating people I've ever seen. Come don't on. you care about pork and this? Don't talk to us when the bacon is served. Thank all right? You. We this church comes together under bacon. Every ethnicity of people, all these little healthy-looking folks, but bacon, Hallelujah. bacon. Don't mess with the bacon. That's all I have to say. Okay? It isn't even chocolate. It's bacon. All right? So you know, chocolate covered bacon. Some people, yeah, some they do have chocolate dipped bacon. Yeah, and that's a, a delicacy of sorts. But anyway, um, and they will fight you over some of that too. So my, I know people that that know how to choose the right battle is my point. And we maintain what belongs to us. One of the things we do when we acquire something from the courts of heaven, then we contend with that word. We received last Saturday on the 4th of July on the birthday of the United States of America. We received a verdict in the courts of heaven that we, it took two days to get. It was probably over four, maybe five, I really don't know. Um, regular hours of time that we went back and forth into the courts to find out what we could do to, uh, to, to because we were taking on an assignment to ask the Lord for something that had already been asked for and others have been praying about but we wanted to get the legal documents from the court of heaven that said that those things known as COVID-19 and that family of viruses known as coronavirus would not only be dismantled, be constructed and killed dead, but also banished from the earth forever, never to return. And we got it. And I, I'm not gonna go into all the nuances of it, but I will tell you that the courts of heaven is a real place. It is a, it is not a, it's not a place for pretending and coming with a frivolous lawsuit that the king who is the judge wants to hear the cases that we bring to him. He wants to be able to release the verdict and to, and to re release his power on our behalf. But God has always set things up in the earth. Even when we pray, according to Matthew 6, God's kingdom come, God's will be done. These are invitations from us as citizens of the, of the planet earth, if you will, who have the blood of this earth in, in our bodies. We're inviting heaven to be involved in the affairs of man because mankind, humanity, the race known as humanity needs the intervention of somebody that loves us to teach us to fight for one another instead of warring against each other. And the Bible says in James that these wars come from amongst you because you're lusting after what you don't have or what you think that you don't have. And when you, when the spirit
Spirit of the Lord and the, the Word of God teaches us to win the battle of our minds, to win against the onslaught of negativity and demonic rhetoric that comes against our thinking to cause us to believe that we could come from monkey slime or um, that a skin, co skin color is what makes you superior or inferior to someone else. And that the effects, the, the, the actions of the past are what are the only thing that can dictate your present. Mm -hmm. And see, none of that is true according to God. And so you, it teaches us to make, to find what is actually truth and never ever deviate from it. There is only one truth and that's this word, the word of God. There is no other truth. Your experiences, uh, my experiences, and we say, well, I'm just talking my reality. No, you're creating a false reality based upon deceptions, lies, and wounds of the past. But the Word of God heals us, delivers us, tells us what to think from the King's perspective that allows us to change atmospheres. And this world needs that. With all of the depths of babies, children, uh, the ones that before they even get out of the womb, and then these under t age 10 um, playing in front yards and cities and, and, and the carelessness of trying to promote somebody's peaceful demonstration when they're not demonstrating for peace. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what peace is without Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So what peace are you marching for? What peace are you trying to attain? If you don't know Jesus, you don't have peace because he is the author of peace. He is the person of peace. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to deny his presence, but you're gonna have a peaceful march, you're lying. You are straight up lying. You're setting it up to destroy, to, to bring fractions to somebody else's life. And I have zero tolerance as does when you're in the kingdom of God. Then, you see, we can, we can war and will, and will. We can go for these things in the courts of heaven and get the rendering and get it brought into the earth's atmosphere so that the lives of people can be spared and we don't, <coughs> excuse me, we can stop feeding on the latest things that these domestic terrorists have have been promoting back, we will be able to deconstruct their their uh, setups, and we can see people become healed, like the movies that you see after all the storms and and the, the wreckage and, and the this and the that, and then all of a sudden you hear the calm because it's all stopped, and the people start coming out. I used to watch that movie Twister lots, and uh, I mean lots. And there was a scene after they had had a, uh, um, a level five earth, uh, I mean a Twister tornado, and it just seemed like it destroyed everything. And then suddenly it cleared away, and you heard the birds and the, the sounds of nature, and a door opened and a family came out of the shelter. and. Things were looking, yes, there was damages around, but the sun was shining, and there was a calm in the atmosphere, and it wasn't the back building for the second half, the thing was gone. 
You see, the world will never know what it is to have peace unless and at, until we, as the kingdom of God, the church, the people of God, decide we have one, one law, one faith, one baptism, one father, one body, and that we are all part of the same family. So that's uh, an observation, I think, as much as anything. But I'm saying, my point was, you've got to fight for what belongs to you. And you do it with the word of God. We contend COVID-19 is dead and we give glory to God. We say that the coronavirus and all of the family of viruses connected to it and man-made ideas that were to perpetuate it, that every bit of that is illegal in the earth and must leave the premises never to return. Glory to God. And every time we do, angels are... Are, are moved to, to keep getting it. And we've spoken that there are miraculous healings and recoveries all over the planet in every place because what an illegal virus must leave the bodies. It must leave the territory that it has been trying to claim. And as we speak those words of healing, you are healed in the name of Jesus. You are made free in the name of Jesus and you are made whole in the name of Jesus. And the power of his name and the power of his blood is moved to your behalf to work on your behalf and strip that stuff off of your body and get it out of this planet because it doesn't belong to you and you do not belong to it and now we're going after fear because fear is what has gripped your throat and has you clinging so hard to a mask that can't protect you from a bad smell let alone anything else and to speak the words that will bring about the freedom in your heart so that you stop looking around at people. I can't even guess how many of you freak out watching me cough right now and say, oh my God, was it this, that, or the other? <laughs> yeah, what it is is a throat that I've been sleeping in front of a fan, okay? You try it sometime and tell me how it works out for you, okay? And, uh, you know, you sleep in front of a fan and sweat because it's hot in your house, but you just don't want to turn on the AC all night long, well, then that's kind of the kind of thing that happens this time of year, and it's probably happened to you a time or two. So stop freaking out, because I guarantee you I'm not dying. <laughs> I am living for this word, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not contagious. I can't give you a sickness or a disease, because I don't have any. You understand what I'm saying? But this comes from faith in you not faith in you. Do you have any questions? Not so far. Not so far. Let's see. Okay. Any questions? Nope. Or do you have questions for me, Crystal Denise? Something that you'd like me to expound upon? Because I'm going to read some more scriptures over people tonight. Mm, not, not often. Not yet. Okay. All right, Frederick. And so she, I talked y'all up. And you too, Judge Constance. So Y'all need to help Crystal out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I took the night off. (laughs) All right. One of the things that I have been, I'm very serious about fear, the spirit of fear, because it is a spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we have to address. We have to disallow it from our lives. We completely, we must get rid of it because it's also, it affects our health. And you don't want that. Yes, ma'am. 
I do have a question. Last night, my daughter slept with me. She wanted to sleep with me. But she says, Mom, she said, Mom, um, how do you not fear dying? So I'm going to ask Pastor Alzine, how do you not fear dying? How do I not fear dying? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll go with scripture for that. The first way, and I, I want to ask, you should text her and ask her to qualify that. Is she talking about just um, being afraid to die, period? Or was she talking about a certain kind of dying? You know, something that, like getting killed. Because that's something that a lot of people are afraid of. They're afraid that they're going to be killed. They're going to be shot or kidnapped. Or I mean, people are afraid of these things. But the bottom line answer is because I already know that I have eternal life. It's funny. We, we were given a... Um, an assignment quite a few years back uh, at a special group of people that were being trained uh, by Dr. Baker and we had an assignment to write a little booklet about death about um, <clears throat> and I just found mine actually if you want to grab it off of my uh, in my, uh, my bedroom slash office you'll see the little black book right on my chair on my um what do you call it? Chair. My prayer chair. Why do we have to die? Was the question that we wrote in the book. And of course, that's kind of funny because I see the prototype for you. Or Christina's right here. Um, so it was just a question that we wanted to know. Why do we have to die? And um, why, therefore, would I personally be afraid? So if you can grab that, I'll, 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 I'm going to read from that. But I'm not afraid to die now. I was. I was petrified of dying when I was in my mid-twenties. I had a lot of nights that I could not even go to sleep. I was living in my apartment in Los Angeles, one of them. And I remember just being choked with fear in the middle of the night that if I were to fall asleep and not wake up. I did not know what would happen to me. I did not know what it was to have eternal life. I had heard about it because grandmama talked about Jesus my entire my entire life. And so therefore I knew who Jesus was as a family member. I knew who he was. But I didn't know him as a savior, my savior. And so I had this this kind of thing that isn't it yeah. Um, I had this kind of thing about falling asleep. You want to try throwing it to me? Go. Thank you. Okay. So this is my handmade book, and, and I'll, I'll show it to you in a minute. But um, I remember sitting there, and or sitting up in the middle of the bed trying to breathe, and I just didn't know what to do. So I call, I would call my mother, and I would just tell her I, I didn't know what to ask her. I really did not know if she could even my question for me but she just kept telling me it'd be all right she'd pray over me and I'd go to sleep and I was living as a heathen so you know if I had other people with me I, I was probably fine it was just moments when I would be alone and I'm scared to die I was so scared to die but that was until that continued on until the day that I found out that I could have eternal life through Jesus Christ 
And along with that, as I've studied over time in my walk with the Lord, and I came to realize life has more power than death. People think that death is, that death triumphs over life. But because of Jesus, you see, we have eternal life. And that means that death cannot conquer us or overcome us. And I understand what, when the Bible talks about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I understand things in my spirit that I, I did not understand with my flesh. And it goes back to what I was saying before. When they talk about people aging, they're talking about the death process. The other side of you've passed the vitality of your youth. And <coughs> so, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Thank you, Jesus. Um, you, you go past the, youth, the expected vitality of youth. I, think it, I guess people think it ends at 40. I'm not really sure. But supposedly now the decay and the deterioration of age is supposed to be setting in, eating away your muscles and doing this and doing that. But I heard the Lord say to me very clearly today, when I was listening to the, the athlete and this, this uh, spiel that they were doing, and I heard the Lord say very clearly, my work will give you what they're talking about. doesn't mean you, you can't take their whatever their elixirs are if you want to do that. But the word of God is the true source of my health and the true source of my eternal life. And because I know that, I'm not afraid to die. So it's a long answer, but here it is, this little book I wrote back then. And it was called, So What Happens to Me After I Die? And it was written with the idea, uh, and actually it's funny because I pulled it out because I'm actually rework, re, reworking it. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm, I'm writing that book, Dr. Baker commissioned me to write about salvation. And so I wanted to talk about life. And what we, our concept of death is a permanent sleep. And that does not exist. It is not a permanent sleep. Hmm. You see, I was afraid is that the whole idea of going to sleep and you're never, ever, ever going to awaken. But it's not true. Even people that die in their sleep don't stay asleep. They're alive. If, they, if they're with Jesus, they are alive and thriving. If they did not choose him, they are... They're dead, but they're not asleep. They're alive. Eternally. They're alive forever. Etern we, are, we are spirit that makes us eternal beings. That means that our spirit person does not die. Okay? Mm -hmm. It does not die. <clears throat> the spirit person is the real you. This house that we live in has a life cycle. Okay? And some of them need to be recycled. But it's, this is a temporary house. It's physical flesh. That's why the hang-ups that people have over color don't make any sense when you realize that you're really spirit. And your spirit doesn't have a color like you think it does. It's, I, I remember Dr. Fred Price saying many years ago, he said, I'm God color. Whatever color God is, I am. And God likes a whole rainbow of, of a myriad of colors that are indescribable to the people of this earth. That's why you have to laugh at these groups, the, the, the different groups that have tried to take the rainbow as their symbol. They don't even know the true colors because they can't access them. The colors belong to God. 
God created the rainbow. So I don't know whether they realize it or not, but what, what they I think mean, that they're taking, <laughs> what they think that they're taking is their bold statement is really their attempt to pervert the things of God. But see, he knows how to keep what belongs to him. And so maybe, just maybe, when you've decided that you're going to adopt the rainbow to, to talk about your lifestyle and to, to, to be your flagstone for something, maybe, just maybe, you'll find yourself, I pray so, captured by the love of God before the destruction that Satan has and planned for you, in store for you, before it comes to fruition. You see people go, well, God's going to send them to hell. God never sends anybody to hell. People choose the God that they're going to serve. They choose either to serve the eternal God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore choose eternity with God, which means heaven as well as the new earth when it comes. Or they choose to reject the love of Jesus, and they choose to reject the truth of the Bible, of the gospel, of the God who created the heavens and the earth. They reject all that in favor of somebody's lie that they can become uh, superhuman this way and they can become this. You know, they're falling for the same, very same uh, lie that originated in the Garden of Eden with the fruit. When the woman was told that God's, uh, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him. And the implication was that God was somehow nervous about the idea of Adam and his wife becoming like God. But the truth is, here you look at this thing, and the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible tells you, God said, let's make man in our image and after our likeness. In other words, God said, let's create man to be like us. Now, that was what God said. I'm creating man to be like you. So the lie was told God's afraid that you're going to be like him. Well, how could God be afraid you were going to be like him when he made you to be like him? <laughs> And they're still falling for it today. You could become superhuman. You can, you can become a super masterful race of people. Well, that's what you were actually created to be without anybody having to put any kind of biochip or some kind of serum in your body. You were already created for that. The capacity to be all that is found in the word of God. But you've listened to the lies and the teachings of fallen angels, whether it be Satan or the Nephilim, whatever, and you think that these ancient mysteries of demonic origin are true wisdom. No, it's deep, dark deception that, ha that is written and told, I should say, by those that don't even have the ability to stay in heaven. They flunked the class. They were kicked out of the school. And you're listening to dropouts, eternal dropouts, that have a destiny of destruction. And when you choose to believe and follow after the doctrines of demons, then you have chosen the demons that you are supposed to have authority over. You have chosen to bow to them instead of to have rule over them. In the kingdom, we have rule over them, and we're not going to give that up. You, by choosing to let them rule over you, have chosen to perish alongside of them. And I guarantee you, when the end of the end of all things are done, God is not going to be the one in the lake of fire. It's already written. Okay. You had a question? No, she said, I asked her, and she said both. Okay, both. 
So this book, one of the things that it does is it asks the questions, like I called it a brief dialogue on death, fear, faith, and eternal life. This was my own little homemade book. <laughs> and I mean homemade, see the little spirals? And I'm one of, I think there were 12 of us that also wrote this, and Crystal has one too. So, because uh, I, have, I have your draft here in my, my folder. So let's, let's address some of these little questions with my little sweet Carissa. I wrote this about five years ago, okay? And I wrote it, I wanted to write it like a story because I want to tell you, how about this, guys? I will share with you um, some of my, my little fears that I, that I had. Uh, God, I wrote a lot of stuff, okay. Um, I dedicated it to some wonderful people, to Mrs. Myrtle Zeisler, Reverend Judy Gossett, Pastor Andre Crouch, and my grandmother, Mrs. Ellen Carter. How about that? So that was uh, 2015 when I wrote that. So let's let's just look at listen to this. All right. Astounding love, a global well, it was just called a church fellowship then. Is a prophetic house with an apostolic voice. We are more than that now. We abide by the words written in First John 4:17, as He is, so are we in this world. The 21st century minister's leadership class, taught by our own Dr. Baker, is designed to prepare us for true end-time ministry. It's tough on the flesh. <laughs> our minds, wills, and emotions constantly get put in check by the Spirit of God. It's an amazing experience, one that equips us to fully engage in the work of ministry for the sake of others. The midterm assignment write a biblically-based book that discusses what happens after death. This is that. So my first encounter with death was in elementary school. <laughs> All right? I'm sorry. Huh? I'm sorry. You said it was in elementary school. It was? Go ahead. Okay. While on a weekend getaway, the family of one of my classmates headed home driving through a snowstorm. They were in an accident which killed their younger son, Kenny. The principal announced his death during the outside morning assembly. They still made you stand outside, even when it was raining. But now that I've known that the children didn't necessarily practice good hygiene, I understand. Okay. Anyway, that's not in this. I'm just saying. That's when I found out that little kids died. There was no such thing as grief counseling back then. While I didn't attend Kenny's funeral, I remember attending three others as a little girl. One was a church member from my grandmama's church. The second was my grandmother, my daddy's mother. And the third was an uncle, my father's brother. It was during this time that the suffocating seed of fear was planted in me. What happens after death? I never thought to ask the question. I thought I already knew the answer, and it scared me. According to the Bible, there are two possible answers, and we'll look at both in the course of this dialogue. There are innumerable, now listen, movies, books, songs, games, and celebrations that revolve around the scary, the macabre, and the horrifying. I recall summer parties and story circles where shock value ghost tales were told. Those are the stories where it always ended with shouts, screams, and laughter, and somebody grabbing your arm, you know? And it seemed harmless after all. No one died except in the story. But death as a form of entertainment is not the same as the real thing. I carried a fear of death from childhood on in my early adult years. I was afraid to die. How would it happen? Would I be killed, fall asleep, and not awaken? Where would I go? How could I breathe if they shut me up in a box? Oh, it was terrifying. Turns out I wasn't alone. There are other people that fear death and dying. Tantophobia, fear of death, is commonplace in society. Even so, that mental health so much so that mental health professionals and organizations specializing in this area 
dedicate themselves to search out treatments to help to alleviate fear. Now see, we're talking about fear tonight. Good question, Miss Carissa. All right, and I hope she's watching. She better be. Okay, now, while the fear of dying is temporary, it can last an entire lifetime. Ironically, it ends when we die. <laughs> so the time to deal with fear is while we live, and it must be dealt with. The Bible offers the only eternal solution to a fear that is limited to the inhabitants of this earth. Unless one is able to receive the biblical truths about death and dying, the fear can only be abated for a while. God's word does not abate fear, it annihilates it. If we could create the rules of death, bad people should die early. Anyone that we love should never die or at least live a really long time. We should be able to keep them with us forever. How do you view death? Most likely your perspective is different from the way God sees it. While the death of his saints is precious in him, that's Psalm 116 verse 15, he's never pleased to lose the ones that do not choose him. How many tormented, bitter, grieving souls are angry at God because they believe that he allowed some mad gunman, drunk driver, crazy parent, drug addict, thief or robber or terrorist to kill innocent people, innocent children. Many grieving hearts ask questions prefaced with the words, how can a loving God take my mother, my father, my husband, my wife? I've heard and read it more than once, especially, <coughs> excuse me, upon the occasion when a child or children die or are killed. God is not a killer, but Satan is. Because there are so many senseless and incomprehensible deaths that involve children, it seems reasonable to look at death, dying, and God from both a child and adult perspective. This book is written in two narrative styles, the story type dreams of a child and also essay form of an adult. The conversations are portrayed in the voices of a child and adult and the voice of God himself through scripture. The verbiage is simple, childlike, and direct. Please note, although they are derived from the fears of my childhood and young adult years, the two dream sequences are not autobiographical in nature. I've combined actual fears of death and dying with real life experience and scenarios that occur all over the land. Again, I did not actually experience these dreams. It is my prayer that you will open your heart to receive the love and peace of God that is available to you. And I pray that his power eliminates any uncertainty and fear of death from your mind, heart, and body. I pray that the words of this book will prove to be a simple guide to answer the questions of your heart, that you will live a confident, joyful life, armed with the knowledge that your eternity is secure. It's possible to live without fearing death. I know, because it happened to me. So that's my introduction. Mm -hmm. Got another question? No, not yet. No. You want me to keep going? No. I'm asking. Okay. All right. So chapter one is uh, interesting. It just says, what do you mean we'll see them again? And I had this little picture in there of these three coffins. And so that's kind of the setup for where it is. Yes, ma'am. Oh, she's listening. Okay. All right. So I'm going to read from the book, this little book. Yeah, I really am going to go ahead and publish this. All right. But now he is dead. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. 2 Samuel 12, 23. I'm dreaming about them again. The hometown family that died when I was a child. I read about the tragic car accident in the archives years after it happened. In my dream, I'm a child again, sitting in a church sanctuary. There are three white boxes at the front of the church. I see a father, a son, and a daughter sleeping on shining pillows. I wonder why they're so dressed up to sleep in church. The father's suit looks brand new. 
while the little boy has on a baseball uniform. He's holding a toy cowboy in his hands and wearing cowboy boots. The little girl has on a princess dress. Her hair sticks with pretty curls and her tiara sparkles under the lights. Her little shoes have pretty pink bows and so does the white teddy bear in her arms. The teddy bear's bow is around its neck. The mother is not sleeping with them. She's dressed all in black, sitting in the front row in the middle set of chairs. The preacher's wife sits next to her and one of the nurse ladies is on her other side. She has a black veil over her face and she sits very still, staring at the family picture on the stand up front. I can see the side of her face because we're sitting on the front row on the right side. My seat is close to a big urn filled with flowers. They smell really sweet, but they don't smell good. I look around because I can hear people crying. There's a lot of sniffling going on. It almost sounds like everybody has a cold, only there isn't any sneezing, just sniffling, crying, whispering, and organ music. The music is so sad, like the organ is crying too. Even the building feels sad. I think it's the way all the grown-ups are feeling that makes it like that. There's a lot of whispering going on. They think they're being quiet, but with almost everybody doing it, their voices swirl all over the room, filling up all the quiet places. That's how my teacher describes us when we're trying to whisper quietly in the classroom. It's gloomy in here, like when the fog takes over on a cold, rainy day. sounds like air seeping out of a balloon or a lot of bees around flowers or maybe the water flow spitting out water when we step on it. It isn't a nice sound though. It just made the air thicker and thicker with the noise. It's starting to get a little hard to breathe. I keep hearing voices say how senseless it all is. This should not have happened. It's just too much for anybody to have to bear. How could God? What's too much for anybody to bear? What do they mean? How could God what? I really don't know what they're talking about. I think they're complaining because they don't want to be sitting here watching the people sleep. I keep looking at the little girl. She's so pretty, like a little sleeping princess in my fairy tale book. Do I know her? She kind of looks like somebody that I should know. We've never played together, but she looks like she could be my friend. Oh wait, is that an ant crawling on her face? <gasps> yes, it is. <laughs> Why doesn't she wake up and move it? Doesn't she feel it? Mommy? This is weird. How can she sleep in a box at the front of the church with an ant crawling on her face? What's wrong with them? Look at her daddy and her brother. Why are they so still? Is the preacher mad? No, I think he looks sad too. I guess nobody's happy that these people are sleeping in church. So why doesn't somebody just wake them up? Now the preacher's talking about God's comfort and love. Don't mourn, he said. Remember we have a blessed hope and promise. This sleep of death is not the end. We will see them again. Oh, no. They close the lids over their faces. Somebody help them. Help that little girl. She isn't going to be able to breathe. All of a sudden, I can't breathe either. People are starting to cry out loud, and then the mother starts to make this loud noise. It's like a really long, low, deep, wailing sound. It sounds like it's coming right out of her belly. Then she starts to cry. We mean on the preacher's wife. It's really loud. Mommy, mommy, why are you crying? Now I'm crying too. Crying and trying so hard to breathe when she hugs me close to her. Mommy, you're squeezing me too tight. Can we leave? Why is it so dark? I feel sick. It's hard to breathe. I want to go home. What, what did the preacher mean? The sleep of death. Are they dead? Dead. But those are little kids. Little kids die? Little kids like me? Am I going to die? 
Are you going to close me up in a box because of the sleep of death? Is there an ant going to crawl on me? And then I start to scream. I scream and I scream and scream. And I wake up in a cold sweat. That little girl could have been me. I feel like I'm suffocating. It's hard to breathe. The preacher said we will see them again. Where will we see them? How can he be sure of that? How does he know? And that's how it opens. Want me to keep going? I mean, you're looking at me so funny. Anybody have any questions about that? Just interact. I'm not trying to do a dramatic reading today, but that's how I saw it. And as I said, it was a combination. I really did go to a funeral and see an ant crawling on the lady, and that's exactly when that feeling of suffocation, that fear, hit me as a child. It was, it was when I saw that ant crawling on this body of the stranger that I did not know, but I had to they had open, what they called open casket, and you had to go up and, and, and look at this person. And I decided pretty much around those times after that, yeah, ain't making me do that no more. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've got lots of stories about that. Some of them are kind of funny, because I know also that even when they've embalmed them, sometimes the bodies are still twitching. That's not a good moment either. It's really not, yes. Wow, what an engaging story and point of view. All right, any questions? So, why don't we ask those what is it still in print? Question mark. No, it's going to come in. I'm actually going to release it this year. I did. I only all I did is make five copies of it. I had an assignment. I made a copy and I was supposed to give it to several people to read. They read it and just said, "Okay, interesting," and had lots of critiques. So, I'm actually just going to. Um, Go through. I'm going through it, and it will actually be released on Amazon later this year. This year, mm -hmm. so because that answer, because you're reading the raw version. Like I said about editing, it still has to go through my my edits and and do. But let me ask this: What are you afraid of? While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, "Do not fear, only believe." Mark five. 35 to 36. I was around seven or so when I watched I was a teenage werewolf with my grandmother. <laughs> From that time on I was fascinated by the macabre. Dark shadows, night gallery, the outer limits, and the twilight zone were some of my favorite television shows. I loved the Dracula and Wolfman movies too, especially the ones with Abbott and Costello. I watched a lot of scary movies when I was growing up. I read a lot of books and novels about ghosts zombies, monsters, haunted houses, werewolves, serial killers, murderers, and vampires. I read the true crime books right along with fiction. Stephen King, Peter Stroud, Mary Stewart, Shirley Jackson, Daphne du Maurier were a few of the writers that excel at the creepy, I forgot Agatha and Agatha Christie, the creepy, suspenseful, the scary, and the bizarre. In those days, I didn't know that I fed the fear of dying inside while I outwardly fed on the macabre. This fear began the first time that I went to a funeral. I'm pretty sure it was the closing of the coffin that got me. We'd gone up to in front, front to view this waxy looking lady, and then after all the talking, they put the lid down. I kept thinking that she might wake up after the lid closed and nobody would hear her. I have a lively imagination, and it worked overtime creating scenarios. I kept imagining that it was me in the box, and all of a sudden, breathing became a bit more difficult to do. And that's really the invitation to asthma. It was the invitation to things that would start to constrict your 
your breath, you understand? Fear is a, is a spiritual root of many diseases. And, and that, that happens to be one of those ways it, it's affecting your central nervous system. It's concerned, touching your hypothalamus. It's doing things in your physical body because that fight or flight, the panic, and the trying to figure out well, how, what would I do, what would I do, and, and um, be fearful of being closed in. It, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of connected to why some people cannot wear a mask because of these thoughts of, of constricting, of shutting you down, and, and so forth. And other people, because, because, they, they, because they have fear already at work with them, they, they're more fearful of what could come on them if they did not wear the mask. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yes. So are you saying that um, uh, it's based on what, how you, what you open yourself up to? Mm-hmm. Okay. It is based on, it's what, because you, you think about the fact that even if you're, let me, let me give you a nice, lovely age. Let's say you're, you're 35 or 40 years of age. Mm -hmm. But from the time that you were about five or six, you started out with the cartoons. Mm -hmm. You started out with the little movies, the Disney movies and so forth. You saw Bambi or, or uh, uh, the frog or whoever it is, and their mother dies in a Disney movie. Mm -hmm. And so you've already experienced death, the death of, a, of one at least, in most of the Disney movies I, I recall, at least one, if not both, of the parents die. And it's a horrible moment, and then the child is raised by animals or raised, you know, in a different environment. Even the Jungle Book, where the tiger, the man-eating tiger came and, and he didn't get the baby because the apes rescued the baby, but the tiger got the mom and the dad, you see? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's already, it starts with the pall of death over it. And then you're so used to the fact that maybe one or the other will die, or you're so used to watching deaths. The video games, you, it's easy, you kill and, or you'll die, and they even give you resurrection. You have to do certain things to pump your heart again to start to play again, mm -hmm. or, or something along those lines. You watch people get caught up with the Freddy Krueger movies, or the Wizard movies, those mm -hmm. Harry Potter movies where there's terrible deaths, and there's this, and there's this, and the society, then Dr. Baker wrote this in her book. We taught your, your conversation. Oh my gosh, they're killing me here. Or my feet, I tell you what, my feet are killing me. Mm -hmm. I, I, we just died laughing. And the conversation is so filled with death and fear. Girl, they about scared me to death. I'm just too afraid of this or this da 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 da. People's conversation is filled with fear, talk of fear mm -hmm. and of death, and they feed on it with the movies that they like, the in-game films or the, um, the television series where, you know, we're solving a murder or it's watching the murder or pursue and the, and the stalker and the this one and the that one the, or the rampant killer. And, and this is what society feeds upon. Go ahead. Okay, so then, I mean, I hear you saying all those things. So what do you tell your child? I mean, she's not a little kid, but she's 16. Um, and they ask you this question. Mm -hmm. um, how do you help them? How do you... Um... You have to define death. Mm -hmm. You have to get them to define what they think death is. And mm -hmm. the only truth is this Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that, that has to be... It has to be established what the source of truth is. And it makes sense that the creator of life would be the only one to know what death is. 
death is eternal separation from God. Mm -hmm. That's death. That is true death. Because the Bible says that the death of his saints, to be absent, for me to be absent from this body, mm -hmm. would mean that I'm not alive in the earth, but I'm with God. So I'm alive with him. But true death is eternally being eternally separated from God. Mm -hmm. And that can only happen if you die in your sins. Mm -hmm. That's why we in the body, we have to tell you what sin is. It's rejecting God's truth and embracing a life that keeps him out of it or makes him convenient for you. And you create your own rules to govern yourself. And you feel that God has no place in it. You setting, you being set up for death, true death. You see, the Bible also says in Romans chapter eight, verse two, and I quote this, I, I speak this a lot, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, because life is found in God, has freed me, made me free from the law of sin and death, which is where sickness and disease and murders and hatred and dissensions and separations all of this stuff comes under sin and death. It is sin and it leads to death. All sickness, all disease, people go, you even a cold, anything that takes your body out of its normal state of health and wholeness comes from the entrance of sin into the world. But because of the entrance of Jesus Christ and his blood and this word and the truth, you and I as believers in God have authority over sickness and disease. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, in order to talk to your child, you have got to get them to understand whether they choose to believe it or not, that the Bible is the source of life and truth. And mm -hmm. that when you, you ask them, what is death? Is it fear of going to sleep and not awakening? Yes. Well, you, why would you, why are you afraid? And I would get to the origin because you see something had to happen that triggered a fear. Something happened, whether it was the death of a friend, and all of a sudden, that's when your mortality starts to become real to you. Because somebody your age, like-minded, that you were just talking to, and they're dead. Mm. How did they die and I'm still here? And where did they go? And what happened to them? I don't even know what they actually believed. And I've made this comment before. You better make sure you got a friend when you out there with all your little crazy acting selves. You better make sure you know somebody that knows how to die. Who knows how to help you to cross into Jesus Christ. You better make sure that out of all the people that you'd like to pal around with, that there is somebody that knows the true way to salvation. Because otherwise you would a whole bunch of hellbusters, basically, gang, bu <laughs> gang, gang banging your way into hell. And if nobody knows how to have eternal life, you are absolutely messed up. The last people I would want to have come talk to me when I'm on the hospital bed stuttering for breath and all this other stuff would be a bunch of people telling me they'll see me over in hell and we'll have a good time. Or just say, hey, you've been a good person your whole life, so you'll make heaven. Don't you dare bank your eternity on somebody else's stupidity and ignorance, or your own for that matter. Yes. Here's a question. Yes. How can the preacher be so sure that we will see them again? That was the next question. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about in the story, right? 
That is a great question. I love it. Somebody's like, I want more of the story. Give me. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Well, I actually would have to re read you the end of the book <laughs> in order to do that. And I'm not. It doesn't look like I'm going to get to it tonight because we're we're coming we're winding down soon. But to answer your question, in this book, at, at the very end, it's only four chapters. Um, she has another dream, and the the wife. The, the mother of, of, of those people answers that question. I guess I could answer it. But as I was saying, um, here it is. I said, I probably, it did, probably didn't help. Okay, this is true. I, I have a lively imagination and it worked over time creating scenarios and I won't end tonight without answering that question. I kept imagining that it was me in the box and all of a sudden breathing became a bit more difficult to do. It probably didn't help that for a short time my mom rented a house next door to a cemetery. <laughs> my bedroom window, this is true, faced the graves. Ever have your morning view enhanced by tombstones? It's a little quirky. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling the truth. That was what I looked at in my bedroom window. All right. Whatever the original cause, I spent years in agony thinking about dying. I just kept seeing that coffin lid coming down. And I'm the very thought of it was claustrophobic to me. So there was a lot of fear in the world and has a vast array of manifest behaviors and disorders. Research shows that a great many people in society admit to some form of fear, anxiety, or phobia. Mental and other healthcare professionals rank death anxiety or fear of death and the unknown high on the list pertaining to patient care. There are people that are absolutely tormented by this. The listed symptoms are similar to the thoughts I used to think. Agony over how they'll die, phobia is about being killed, predatory death anxiety, and a fear of ceasing to exist altogether. Existential death anxiety is what it's called. This fear exists in children and adults. Some deny the possibility of an afterlife, put it off onto reincarnation or purgatory, while others joke about death in order to ward off anxiety. Is it any wonder that secular society refers to this kind of mental and emotional torment as a mental health crisis? It's fear mm -hmm. of death. That just sends people off. Okay. Can you, I'm sorry, can you read that again? I was, that's okay. I was answering a question. Can you read that? Is it any wonder that secular society refers to this kind of mental and emotional torment as a mental health crisis? Mm. And it's really the operation of the spirit of fear. We're going to be getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm speaking to my prayer folks. You all are going to see the results of that. That's probably the conversation we may open up with next week. Imagine being held captive by your own fear-filled thinking. It can bring about a physical paralysis. It really can. That's the work of darkness. Fear is a spirit, and it does not come from God. The Bible says that fear has torment and identifies a spirit of bondage that leads back to fear. Sadly, many that read or hear the biblical definition uh, of fear definitions of fear uh, esteem and lightly. After all, they say Satan or the concept of darkness and evil doesn't really exist outside of Hollywood or some radical church group. Well, if you've been looking at the news and seeing the things that happen, you got a front row seat to 
to watch and how Satan, the one that you think does not really exist, works his evil through people. God's not doing it. It's interesting to note that people want to deny the existence of true evil. They prefer to attribute anything bad that happens to those we love as a proof of God's failure to truly love us. And how exactly did God fail? Many would say because he didn't stop the devil. But you see, many in the church don't understand that's what we we are here to do. To continue on, as Jesus Christ did, to destroy the works of the devil. So, God does not control mankind like we're some kind of robot, mindless robot. He gives us the power, the freedom, to exercise his authority in the earth. Because God is the only one that can destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. And so he does it. He, t- he also does it through his people. And he does it through the angels. Mm-hmm. But the angels do not operate in this earth arbitrarily. It's mankind that God has given that dominion power to. You mm-hmm. see. So that's, um, I wrote a whole book about that. You can read it. Okay. And the next one that comes out. And this one when it comes out. So the Bible shares a number of the miracles. And by the way, lots of people have written is truth. It, it's simply that you or I, if we're not receiving this as the truth, this is why we have problems taking a stand. Because you can't have more than one truth. You have to have one source for truth. And it has to be your source for all truth, not just some. So picking and choosing which things are God's truth and which things are just the reality of your life tells me you're a very capricious, picky little person that has not landed um, where you need to land. You're not anchored in the word and immersed in the truth of God. And that causes problems for you because it's easy for you to flip back and forth between whether or not um, you can trust God or not. When you really have made a decision, you don't flip back and forth. You trust God. And it is always your default. It's your default. It's your first. It's your second. It's your first nature, second nature, and every other nature that there is. Because... It's a decision that is rooted in truth, and it won't be it up. It can't be uprooted by a lie. So, um, the Bible shares a number of the miracles, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus performed on earth. He calmed the sea, turned water to wine, healed the sick, and on more than one occasion, he brought the dead back to life. This is why I say life is greater than death. In Mark 5, there's an account of the death of the daughter of a synagogue ruler named Jairus. This man was actively seeking Jesus to come to his home and heal his sick daughter. But while he was standing in the presence of Jesus, the news of her death was brought to him. And as far as his servants were concerned, her death nullified the need for Jesus to come back to the house. The girl was dead. So what could what use could he be now? But the story goes on to say that when Jesus heard, he told that man, do not fear. His instructions were, do not be afraid, only believe. Mm-hmm. Imagine the thoughts that he could have had running through his head. I'm going to, I wonder how many of us might respond today. Seriously, Jesus? I just heard that my daughter is dead, and you're telling me not to fear? Just believe? Believe what? And in honestly, all truth, some of these things, you, uh, you, it was like, God, if I could have been there, it would not have hurt to have spoken words of because even that which is instantly dead, there, you know, you, you're looking in the spirit room, can we, can we do something about this? 
This is why you hear the miraculous testimonies of little kids that drowned in a pool and they discovered them, but they were able to call them back and there was no brain damage. I think, I believe there, I know there's also a movie about that type of thing that, that came out last year because life is greater than death, unfortunately. So many of us feed on the grief and on the pain and on the lies that when the time comes that we could possibly be called of God to, to release, it's called resurrection power. We don't know how. And we, as the body, will learn this because the world needs us. You see. And the miracles are not going to come from the satanic realm. All right. Um, so believe that death does not need to be feared. Believe that Jesus has a remedy for the pain and fear of death. This is what you believe. Believe that God is not the one that's going around killing our parents or our spouses or our children or the young people on various campuses throughout the country. He's not doing it. That kind of destruction is the work of a thieving, murderous destroyer that has no regard for human life. It is not the work of the one that gives us life. So, the Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that might have it more abundantly. There really is an enemy that rages against mankind, the race of humanity, all right? The adversary known as Satan has an objective to steal, kill, and destroy all that God loves. He is the antithesis of all things lovely and of good report, but he sure does like to accuse God of all of his crimes. Everything Satan does, he likes to accuse God of being the one, unless man likes it, and then he'll try to go for the glory. Satan is a liar and the source of every false accusation and lie against God and his people. He constantly seeks to nullify human hope and the abundance found in kingdom life. But think about this. If God was truly the enemy out to destroy our lives or kill our families, friends, and our dreams, he'd have no reason to have ever sent Jesus. All he'd have to do is leave us alone to suffer and to fear and to live miserly, miserable lives. But he sent Jesus to be the remedy and the giver of abundant living. Satan is the enemy. So as we continued the story of Jairus' daughter, we found out that Jesus did indeed go to the house where she lay. He did not view her death as a permanent thing. He simply went to wake her up. In fact, when he went into the house where all the weeping and wailing was going on, he actually asked them why they're making all that fuss. I all that fuss. I love what he said. The damsel's not dead. She sleeps. But they responded with scornful laughter. Well, at least they laughed until he woke her up again. Now, why was that so important? Because remember... The reason that I believe that, and this is the hope to answer why did the preachers say you'll see them again, because the hope is in the expectation of being raised up. Because Jesus went to the cross with the expectation of being raised up. The raising up of uh, Jairus' daughter, the raising of Lazarus from the grave, and the, the son of the widow at, uh, in the funeral procession, what was that about? It was to show that Jesus, the man, had already released into the earth resurrection power. The Holy Spirit that worked through him, the power to raise from the dead, was showing the triumph of life, the spirit of the law of life in Christ Jesus. That was greater than the spirit of, of sin and death, greater than death. 
life raised up, called him, called Lazarus, called that young girl, called that young boy at the funeral, called them from the dead back to life. This is the experience that we understand to be born from above. So what, one of the reasons why I am not afraid is because I'm already eternally alive. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm alive to God and nothing's going to take that from me. I'm alive. I am a living spirit. You understand? And if you were born from above, you are a living spirit. The resurrection power to be raised from the dead has already begun its work in you, raising a spirit that was dead to God brought you alive to God. That's the life of God. The resurrection life has already begun the process on the inside of us and it throbs on the inside of us now, always looking for a place where we release life. That's why I said I can't give you sickness because I have life in these hands. Are you understanding? It, it goes deep. It's so simple. And honestly, it's like as I open my mouth and start to say it, the, the spirit of life himself testifies of who he is and how he works in us. I have about 11 minutes, so let me get to, uh, try to get to this. And if you have a question, let me know. Living in anxiety over death and a fear of dying is not God's best for us. He wants us to see death from his perspective. To him, we merely fall asleep on the earth and awaken in eternity with him. For those of us that have the promise of eternal life, death and the cause to fear it has been conquered because of Jesus. So now that you know this, you get the choice to believe or receive it with scorn. If you believe, then what are you afraid of? And I understand it's what you don't know. So you have a question? Oh, okay. All right. Now I could go into chapter three. Chapter three is, is, is really going to give you, uh, do I have time? To, I don't have time to read all this. So um, the chapter three here in this book is gonna just tell, tell, we go through the journey of John chapter three, verses 16 and 17, which is all about for God so loved the world. So let me go to the, the fourth chapter, or yeah, almost last. So what happens to me after I die? Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8. So it says, I'm dreaming again. I'm in the church again. There's no one in the sanctuary except me and a woman dressed in white. She's wearing a small hat with a white feather attached to the veil covering her face. She's sitting quietly on the front row. In this dream, I'm an adult, but I have an awareness and remembrance of all that occurred before. I look at the large family portrait sitting on the easel to the right of where I sit. It's the people from the funeral. But this isn't the same picture they had displayed before. They're all smiling. The mother and father are sitting down on a leather love seat, casually dressed in lightweight sweaters and khaki. He has his arm around her, her head lightly rests on his shoulder. Their expression on their faces is lovely to see. Shared smiles and a kind of connected glow emanates from them. The children are on low stools at their parents' feet. 
The mother's right hand rests on her son's shoulder. Her skirt covers her crossed legs. He's so cute in his baseball uniform, holding his toy cowboy. He's looking in the camera with a wide, happy grin. His top two front teeth are missing. His sister, wearing her princess dress, sits in front of the father. She's leaning against his knee, holding her teddy bear. Her smile is similar to her brother's, although she's only missing one tooth. They look so alive. I didn't realize that they were twins. I look around for the coffins. I'm so glad that they're not there. I get up from my seat and move closer to the picture. As I stand gazing at it, I jump when I hear the woman speak to me. I forgot she was there. That's one of my favorite memories, the day we took that picture. We were very happy up to the end, she says. That's why it's here today. I wanted you to see it. I turn as she continues to speak and find myself looking right into her unveiled eyes. They are bright and shiny with unshed tears. It's a slightly older version of the woman in the picture, the mother from the funeral. You were at the funeral, she said to me. It's been over 20 years, but I still remember hearing you cry, even as I was crying out and letting them go. I knew that I would see them again, but it hurt so much to be left behind. She smiles at me, and it's quiet for a moment before speaking softly. Yet even in the darkest moment of my life, my heart went out to you. I noticed you, because you were the only child in the place. I have carried your face and your cries in my heart for all of these years. I've been praying for you, she said. In my lowest moments, I wanted to depart this earth and be with my family. But I had a sense that I needed to stay here in the earth and pray for you. I wondered if you understood what was going on. You looked so afraid. I flinched at her words. I knew you did not understand why the pastor said, we shall see them again. I'm so glad to have this opportunity to speak with you now. It's time for me to go home, but I must make sure that you are okay before I do. She continued to tell me that for a Christian to die or be absent from our earthly bodies is to immediately be in the presence of the Lord. She told me that she had no worries concerning her family. Her husband, son, and daughter had all confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior before they died. They are all born again in the Spirit from above, as is written in John 3, 6. 16, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, John 3, 6, forgive me. I'll tell you the truth. Even knowing Jesus, it hurts to see my children lying there. Unfortunately, little children do die. That's one of the consequences of sin being in the world. When they died, I had two choices. Turn toward God or get angry and turn away from him. But I know God did not kill my family. He is not punishing me for something that I did wrong. Satan caused that accident. But when death tried to touch my family, my God snatched them out of this earth and out of death's hands. Remember, we are instantly present with the Lord. They felt no pain. They were gone before death could touch them. They belonged to God, and he saved them from that destruction. It's not the way I would have preferred it, but he did do it. Knowing that gives me such joy even in the midst of the pain. As hard as it was to let them go, I know that I will see them again. Then she looked at me and asked the question, do you also know Jesus? I nodded my head to indicate yes. She tilted her head and looked at me. It almost seemed as though she looked right into my heart. Then if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, she continued, why do you fear dying? Remember how Jesus told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? God gave his son out of love for us. 
Jesus died the very death you fear. He did it so that you do not have to. What I'm telling you is that when you said yes to God's gift of salvation, you received your eternal life. Eternal life is everlasting life. That means that the suffocating darkness and fear that has tormented you since you were a child is not even in your future. It was settled at Calvary. Did you know that when Jesus was separated from God, we were too? When he was resurrected to life again, so were we. Resurrection means more than just being raised up. It means a recovery of truth and a restoration of life as intended from above where God is. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was also given the power and authority to give that same life to others. Child, do you know the source of resurrection power? It's the love of God. That's the gift of eternal life that has been made available to all of mankind. The love of God through his son Jesus. All anybody ever has to do is receive the gift. You have received it. Now let his resurrection power work in your life. Let his perfect love throw out all that fear. The Bible says that as he is, so are we in this world. Well, he is alive forevermore. There was a beautiful light shining in her eyes. And where she sat, she stretched out her hand toward me. I was compelled to go to her and put my hand into hers. As I sat beside her, her voice became soft and tender. It's funny, but somehow I knew that this woman loved me. She had endured tragic loss, but she loved me so much. She put her own aside her own pain to make sure that I was all right. Little one, there's nothing to fear. If you belong to Jesus, you are now born from above. Let go of the fears that, have carried, that you have carried for so long. Because of Jesus, death cannot hold you in prison anymore. When it's time to depart, you will simply leave the earthly tent where you have been living and move home. He has a brand new body for you, and that one that will never die. Open your Bible, little one. Get to know our wonderful Savior and all the good things our Father God has provided for us. Remember, Jesus sent the Comforter, Holy Spirit, here to lead us and guide us into all truth. Let God lead you to learn about him. As for me, now that I have told you what I've waited so long to tell you, I am sure that it shall be well with you. I'm going home. And remember, I will see you again. Lying in bed, I considered her words. My heart was beating so fast that I had to take deep, slow breaths. But I wasn't afraid. I believed what she said. It resonated within my spirit. I spoke the words aloud. So God, so Lord, what happens to me when I die? It's for sure I'm not going to turn into an angel. I pulled my Bible out of the drawer by the bed. I turned to the concordance in the back and began to search the scriptures for myself. I found out that what she said was true. I am an heir of salvation. I read and understood my, for myself that I have no reason to fear death or die. I know Jesus. I belong to him. Whether I fall asleep or I'm changed in the twinkling of an eye, it is well with me. And yes, I can breathe. Thank you, Lord. The fear is gone. So what will happen to me after I die? I'll go on and spend eternity with my Savior. I have a better question. Remember, there are two possible outcomes. The choice is yours alone. So what will happen to you after why only you? 
and the rest of it tells the salvation story, and it goes on to there. So how did the preacher know? Because he knew their confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that that's the truth, that that's the true thing, that we're born in this earth to become born anew, and born again, born from above, to become kingdom citizens, and then to, while we're in, on this journey, to help as many others as we can to do the same thing. So that's really the simple answer to the question, and it took us right to the end of our time. So to my Astounding Love family and to those of you that are uh, uh, givers into the work of this ministry, you can go ahead and go online at the Astounding Love uh, email address or giving address or whatever the information is that they put on board there, and go ahead and sow your seed, your tithes, your offerings, your gifts, etc. all that cool stuff. And so into this work, and I want to thank you all because I really had brought the book out. That's why it's so easy to find. But I'm going to go ahead and rewrite it. So if you have questions or things that you would like to see if we've got covered in that book, contact us at astoundinglove.org and ask your questions. We're going to do a lot of conversations starting next week. And even before then, on Sunday, we have Biblical Solutions for Life 1 and 2. So I thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you for spending the last couple of months with me in my living room. And I look forward to seeing you at the Trade Zone Address. I am Pastor Lunzing Lee of Astounding Love Global Church Fellowship. The producers for tonight's segment was Crystal Deneen Washington Kim. And um, with her assistants on board there, I'm sure Frederick Johnson and Sochi Rodriguez. And I want to thank you all so much for being a part of it. I look forward to seeing you at Standing Love Family, and if you're in our neighborhood, uh, feel free to stop in at the studio because we have room for you there. Thank you so much. I'm praying for you. Uh, I know that this hit home tonight, and be prepared because fear is going to get out of your life once and for all. We love you with God's Standing Love. Thank you so much.